Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and today I am joined by the notorious Dominic Davi of Tsunami Bomb, and he's also a writer and artist. How are you doing, Dominic? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you for coming back on. I had you on for a few minutes briefly at Modesto. Mm-hmm. And uh, how'd, you, how'd you do that weekend? That actually was great, Like especially as far as the first-time convention going. That went really, really well. Uh yeah, the convention itself was great. Uh, every restaurant I ate at around it was terrible, but but the actual really? convention was good. Yeah, I had the worst luck. I don't know what happened, but well, the next time next time you come to Modesto, call me ahead of time and I'll tell you where to eat. Okay, that's perfect because I yeah I, I had some really I finally just settled on Taco Bell for that that weekend. But like uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was a great convention for me. I really had a great time. Mita Goodwin did, and everybody out there did a fantastic job, and um. Really looking forward to doing that one again. So, uh, yeah, I was I was actually over. What's, what's the? It far overperformed what I expected to see. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a real. I think it's just surprises sometimes surprises people how much you know there's a demand at, for this of you know basically having a party where you get to embrace all the fun stuff that you really like in geekdom. Yeah. And nerd out with everybody else. Yeah, and just kind of have fun with this stuff. And, and, you know, the cosplay thing has taken off so much over the last years. And so it's become such a thing in itself. I don't know. I think it's just a, you know, it's just everyone has so much fun with it. I think a lot of people, we, I think even those of us who do it and go to conventions and embrace this sometimes underestimate how excited people are about it, you know. And I'm glad to see people have disposable incomes again, too. <laughs> yeah, that's always kind of helpful. Yeah. Um, and then I did run into you at uh, Stockton Con as well. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, doing my whole uh, Valley of California, Central Valley tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's pretty awesome. Um, and that was, I was for, that was almost as big as WonderCon used to be back in San Francisco 15 years ago. It's really blown up. And I mean, that one is so fun because it's been around long enough now that they really got it down. And they, I, I love that it's so much for charity, so tied with the United Way. And Mike does such an amazing job of making, like, that's like the nicest one. I mean, not that any convention I've ever gone to has been unwelcoming. But there's something right. about that one where people are like falling over themselves to help you in whatever way they can, and you're like want for nothing, and like it's such a positive experience. When I tell people that Stockton Con is one of my favorite conventions, like they look at me as if I'm crazy, but I can immediately tell if if they that they haven't been there because it's they, it's just, they start checking your head for bullet. I know, right? And, but you you think you can say that, but it's just so positive. So it's like. I don't know. I think it's, again, you know, an underestimating, like, how many people they just want to have a good time. That one is such a positive thing. So it's so cool that he brought, that Mike put that together in Stockton and made it happen because it's just awesome. Yeah, I was, I see, I, I wasn't going to go to that. And then it turned out that a handful, well, you guys that I've met and talked to were going to be there that I wanted to go see, right? Mm-hmm. And then I get upstairs to that place, and there's, like, you know, pro wrestlers and David Naughton from the American Werewolf in London and Mr. Worf from Star Trek. I did not know that Stockton Con was that big. I know. Well, every year it's gotten, it, it, it without fail, has exceeded last, the year before. Like, it just keeps getting bigger. Like, so, I mean, that would be amazing if that one became something that was on par with WonderCon, and I don't know if it's that far away from that. Like, it's it's getting... I, 
See, I used to take my kids, when we lived in Santa Cruz, we used to go to WonderCon back, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And Stockton Con, I mean, it wasn't quite there, but it was approaching. Yeah, it's getting closer, and every year it's gotten bigger. So it's like, I think every year people walk away talking about how much fun they had. Yeah. So it's like, I don't think it's going to get any smaller. So it's like, it's kind of cool to see these, like, what I think some people would call secondary markets, like, mm-hmm. kind of get something that belongs to them and have it work out so well. Like, it shouldn't always belong to San Francisco and Los Angeles and San Diego no, it shouldn't. And, you know, you look at, you know, Modesto, Stockton, between those two cities, I think there's over three quarters of a million people there now. Right. I mean, that's the other yeah. thing, you know, so it's like it's not like it's a sparsely uh, it's not like a yeah. sparse desert area. It's like there's a lot of people out there. So well, it's, I just I, on the news this morning, somebody's talking about Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. or Kaepernick. Yeah. Kaep- and they go, well, he's from a small, small farming town in the Central Valley. And they go, well, it's not that small. There's 78,000 people there. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. That's not a small town. No, anymore. not no, no, it's not. It just happens to be a rural community still because of its you know placement in geography, not because of its size. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, people out there might know you from a little project you've had running since the early two thousands, if I'm not mistaken. You were the bassist and founder of the punk band Tsunami Bomb. Yes, yeah, we started actually back in 1998, which is kind of weird, and the band has been around like 18 years, with a, like a 10-year break, because we broke up, like the band broke up for 10 years, and it was, we just recently, um, the original group got back together uh, last year with a, well, we got one of our original singer keyboardists back, but uh, the singer who was actually our second vocalist, Agent M, that most people would associate with Tsunami Bomb, didn't want to come back. Um, so we have a, a new a new singer. Her name is Kate Jacoby, who's done just an amazing job with it. And basically we came back to support um, our record label, Kung Fu Records, took offered to put out like all of our out-of-print 7-inches EPs and collect them together as, a, as an LP. And... Uh, that's where the conversation came from because they were like, you know, your stuff still sells and you have all these releases that are no longer available or just limited runs from your early days. Like, we'll put that out if you're interested. So that's what got all the original members talking. Um, everybody, including M, Emily Whitehurst, Agent M, uh, was her name in the band, like agreed, all of us did. And so we went ahead and put together, excuse me, the release and then the, we all started talking and we're like, well, we don't just want it to come out and appear on a record store shelf and nobody really know about it. Um, and Kung Fu Records is a great label, but it's a small record label. And, you know, it's like we, we you know, they weren't, you know, they weren't going to be able to really like push it everywhere. So we started thinking, you know, why aren't we playing together? We all get, you know, we, it's been years. We kind of miss the songs. We could have a lot of fun with it. And M was focused on her project, Survival Guide, and she just really didn't want it overshadowed. She just wanted to focus on that. And so we were thinking of starting a brand new band, um, but our guitar player, Brian, was just like, no, no, why are we going to start a new band to support an old record and all these old songs? Like, all of us together is Tsunami Bomb. Only one member isn't going to do it. We're just going to do it, and people will have to enjoy it for what it is. And thankfully... Though there was, like, some initial reaction of people kind of wondering, you know, like, if we were crazy to do it without M, 
Um, the response has been fantastic. Every show is sold out, and we've just had a really great time um, playing the old songs and doing the sets and just kind of having enjoying it. And Kate's done a great job, and it's, so it's a little different, but not as different as you guys, everybody would think. Um, she has a fantastic voice, and she's really killing it. And so we're really excited. Uh, we've been writing new songs, but we're debating about, you know, what the what the appropriate step forward will be. And, and we're still deciding because that's a different than just coming back together and playing your old songs and supporting an old collection. But um, we have a couple shows coming up. October 1st, we're playing in San Antonio, Texas at the Remember the Punks Festival with the Vandals, MXPX, Sick of It All, Exploited, Buddha Glow Skulls. It's going to be great. 30 Foot Fall, Big Wig. There's just a ton of bands. And then... Uh, we're playing a string of West Coast shows. We're playing uh, October 6th at the DNA Lounge in San Francisco, October 7th at the Viper Room in Hollywood, October 8th at the Women of Horror Festival. It's like a first-time little uh, festival being put together around horror, and especially with a focus on all the different women who have been in horror, and it's really cool. And that'll be in Pomona. Uh, and we're playing then San Diego on October 9th. Uh, at uh, Soda Bar, and it's going to be really fun. I'm really excited about the shows. We're going to really get to play a lot of great songs. So that's awesome. Um, so when you guys decide to re-release your old material, what form? I mean, are you coming out in vinyl? And I mean, what kind of formats are you releasing? We uh, released it on vinyl, and we did CDs, and of course digital. But I got to say, CDs really just don't move like they used to. Um, nope. The CDs. It's good to have them because occasionally there are those people who want them, but really they're not, there's not a big demand. So we ordered only a few CDs and we still have those, but the vinyl has been going like crazy and our digital sales have been really good. Um, we sold out of the whole first pressing of orange vinyl. We did this special like Halloween orange vinyl edition of the record and that sold out pretty much was gone by the time the record officially came out, like like or shortly right after. And then now we're on the second printing, which is a much larger one, and it's on a, a clear vinyl. And, like, so we do these limited batches of each, and, and each have a different number. So, like, there's an orange batch that was only about, like, 500 that sold out immediately, and now there's, like, a clear vinyl batch that's about 1,000. That one's almost gone. And then uh, we'll do another batch that'll be even bigger, and each one will, you know, be six, will be more and more rare. Like uh, the 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 pressing plant actually, who did it for us at one point for forty nine records, just to finish out, like to test out the machine. They mixed in yellow with the orange, so there were mm-hmm. forty nine, like it's almost a golden marble version of the record. And we were when we found out about that, we were super excited, so we thought we'd sell it at our first show back and give everybody who was there at the first time the first time we played get to give them a, an early chance to get the record but uh we we couldn't find the box, so we said, oh, okay, we just find it and then without realizing it, Kung Fu Records sold all the forty nine copies on mail order, so it's kind oh. of rad it, it's a bummer, none of us got them but it's kind of yeah. awesome that there's 49 people around the world, like some are in the UK, I think one's, one or two are in Japan. We figured out where they all are, but they 49 people who mail ordered, who did mail order through Kung Fu Records website, got the Golden Marble uh, edition of records, and there's only 49 of them, and that's kind of awesome. So 
That's pretty, hey, no, that'd be pretty slick. I mean, yeah, so it's a shame. It's a shame you didn't get to put one away, but yeah, but I got the test pressing, so that's kind of good. That's even oh, there there's only like five of those, so <laughs> so that was that was kind of good. That I, I do have something, but yeah. Hey, so I got to ask you then, like the first time that you were holding in your hand your own album, how surreal or I mean, what emotions kind of wash over you when that happens? Well, it's such a process to make that happen and to make it to create it. I mean, every time I have never I mean, I've done a number of bands. I put out a lot of records. I've sold a lot of records. I've been very fortunate to to be able to say that I've sold a ton of records, you know, to me. I'm not like mm-hmm. I don't have a gold record or a platinum record. I was never on a major label, but through indie labels I I did I was fortunate enough to be involved in a lot of bands that did pretty well and I'm really grateful for it. Uh and so I've been through this process a number of times. That's the only reason I I say all that. Um but it never gets old. Like whether it was from the time when I made a demo tape for my first earliest bands to the time now where I, I create like a, a collectible hard to find seven inch or something like that, or some sort of or a full length album or, a, or a collection. It's, it's still like this really exciting moment to that, that you create this thing and it exists and you get to leave it. It's, it's something that's now separate from you and it just will continue on. Um, and you're leaving it behind and it's kind of amazing, an amazing process. So you have a lot of emotions connected to it and it's really great. And it's fantastic to hold on to that feeling because it lasts for about 10 minutes before you start like getting either sick of songs or you hear everything that's wrong with it or you start being really critical of it. And so it's kind of like this rest of emotion. And then eventually you get to a point where you're like, Oh yeah, there's like, uh, there's like weird stuff on that. I wish that album was a little better. I wish I had done a better job. Like you're always self-critical, but that initial feeling is amazing. So, yeah, well, there's um, a video that was making the rounds on Facebook. Oh, last week or the week before. And the whole point of it was whatever it is you want to do, do it and finish it. Yeah. Don't wait for it to be perfect. Just get it done. I saw because that. No- Yes. Yeah, no matter what, you know, in a week, in a month, in a year, you're going to look at it and think it sucks anyways. So it's better just to do it and move on to your next project. I think that is the best advice ever. When people ask me stuff, um, you know, ask me to make comments or, or I have asked me for advice on what to do with bands and what to do with comics or what to do with anything. And I'm just like, just do it. Just make it and and then when you look at it and you go I could do so much better than this then the next one you do make better I mean eventually you have to move on from that panel you have to move on from that song you have to move on from that album and you have to move on from that issue so you just do the best you can at that moment in time and then you finish it and you become and then just take pride in it and move on and then top it and do better next time but like uh, if you're doing something and you're making things happen, like that's how you get attention. People are like, oh, how can I release comics and get people to publish my comics? Make comics, make them and sell them. How do I have a band and you know make a band? Like make it, just you do it, and then you learn and you get better. And no matter what, you're gonna always hate the first things you do. You might hate everything you do really at some point and have a hard time seeing it from perspective, but. You still have to make something. You still have to go out there and do something. If you have that drive to create, I thought that video was perfect. I'm trying to remember the artist that put it out. I wish I could remember because I thought it was one of the best. It's the best summations of that I have ever seen. Yeah, it was just like just get it done, be a finisher, and I think that's so accurate. Yeah, it's like a lot of people just struggle 
to finish. And, you know, I, don't, I almost I don't care if it sucks. If you put it together and you put it out there, that's a victory. And you can yeah. always improve. Yeah, it's well, like my son is a magnificent painter, but he's a guy like we have a piece hanging on the wall, right? Mm-hmm. And every now and again, he'll pop by and I'll like walk through the house and go, well, where the fraggle rock is that painting at? And he's out in the garage adding something or taking something off. Like, I think he's five years old, dude. Let it <laughs> yeah, go. Let it go. Walk away. Like, that's your, you're finished. You're finished. Yeah. Move on to the next one. So I've always admitted, I've always wondered how painters like can feel like when you know it's finished. But I think it's like any other art project or any other project you do. At a certain point, you just have to accept, like, that's it. That's what it is. There it is. Well, the, the quote that I always come back to is George Lucas, and it's funny that it's from him. He goes, but a piece of artwork is never finished. It's just abandoned. <laughs> yeah, that, that that could be true. At a certain point, you just yeah. have to give up on it and let it live. I mean, unless you want to just, you know, unless you don't want to move on. But, I mean, yeah. you know, if you want to create something that people can take with them and enjoy. And, you know, another thing I think sometimes artists and creators forget that I've seen, and I've seen at conventions, and I've definitely seen it at shows, like not you got to respect like you have to understand that just because you can see that you could have done better or it has flaws don't point out the flaws to people don't and don't feel weird when somebody loves it like let them discover you and discover what you've done and appreciate it and love it and have respect for them that they actually care about what you've done like embrace that like let it be and just do better like, blow them away with the next one, you know, if you feel like you could do so much better. But don't go, like, you know, when somebody comes up to you and is just excited about your piece, don't point out its flaws. You know, be happy somebody cares and loves it. That's, well, yeah, that's like trying to sell somebody something and going, but, it, you know, it sucks, so I don't know if you want Yeah, it. that happens a lot in bands. Yeah. Like, especially, but I've seen it at comic conventions, too, where people are, like, downplaying their stuff, and I'm like, okay, but then, of course, you have the other side of it. We have somebody who's, like, playing it up as if it's, like, the latest Marvel release. Just like, okay, calm down. But, but I mean, I don't know. I think it's, it's like, it's, you know, it's good to, to finish. you got to finish stuff. you got to put it out there. you got to let people enjoy it and enjoy that. Enjoy the people actually like it. Yeah, that's that's a good point. We own what's the simplest explanation of sales is transferring enthusiasm to the buyer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, got to mean something to you. It's got you know you got to be excited about it if you want anybody else to be excited about it. You know, you got to believe in it. I always and then the other thing is fake it till you make it. Yeah, I mean, I always tell bands like you know when everybody asks me like you know what should I you know how do I make my band better how do I get signed to a record label or what should I do and it's just like dude. Play every note like you love it and your instrument like you hate it. Like, just put your all into it and don't hold anything back. But if you are just writing filler songs and and it's not something that you can't get out of your own head and, you know, it's not super crazy huge to you, it's like that it's not going to be super interesting to anybody else. Like, it's got to be something you believe in. So make it awesome. Just go for it, you know. But don't be afraid to suck, for God's sakes. Like, everybody sucks. So, like, you know, we all suck at some time, at some point. I mean. Oh, yeah. Well, and don't be afraid to fail, I think, is another big thing. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, that stops that's a lot tough. of people. I mean, I guarantee there's somebody who listens to your show that's like, oh, I'd love to make a comic, but uh, I'm terrible. It's like, nah, dude, just go for it. Just go for it. Yeah. Why not? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Just go ahead and do it. Because, you know what, I mean... Yeah, it may suck this time. Next time, like you're saying, next time it'll be a little bit better. But don't let being afraid stop you from trying. Right, and I think that happens far too much as it is. Oh, yeah. 
Well, so let me ask you this, Dominic. How does a uh, a bassist in a punk band go into making comics? <laughs> well, I mean, I've always been an artist, um, and that's actually what I do for a living, is I'm a graphic designer. Um, I think if you're in the punk, if you're in a punk band and you're a musician and you also do illustration, you, you end up falling, as a punk rocker, you fall into one, like, I always feel weird about calling myself a punk rocker, but I guess that's what I am. But, like, you, you fall into one category or the other. You end up doing everybody's album artwork and all their posters and flyers, or you become a tattoo artist. <laughs> and I, 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 uh, I sometimes wonder if I should have become a tattoo artist. Um, but I, uh, I did everybody's albums and, and their posters and, uh, I've always loved comics from being a kid and I always loved the ability to tell a story in that medium and it always excited me and, and never stopped exciting me. But I, um, I felt like, uh, I, I just, other things happened. And then while I was, uh, in one, during one of the tours, I, I was thinking about how I wanted maybe to do a solo project, but I play bass and I'm. I'm like a pretty crappy guitar player. I'm a little better now, but at the time I'm like, I just couldn't do anything on my own. Like I didn't feel confident enough to do my own solo thing. So I, I decided I wanted to do a web comic and uh, I can't, I mean, I love the jokes in the web comic. It was called the rock and roll palace of love. And it was all about the people I lived with and the people in my life. And I, I cringe when I look at the artwork now, but, like, I got a following with it. It lasted for a couple of years, and it taught me a lot about how to do sequential art and taught me a lot about how to work with computers while doing art. And so um, I was hanging out with Joe Escalante from The Vandals just a couple years ago, and he was talking about a, a, an Internet TV show he had done called uh, Fear of a Punk Planet. Uh, he had done this, it was like before YouTube, it was like the early, like he did it in like 2000, 2001, and it was really, it was really too early for video, for digital television on the internet, like nobody was doing that, it was a little ahead of its time. Yeah, compression wasn't there yet. Yeah, I mean, there just wasn't YouTube, it wasn't like that, they didn't have anything like that, so he, he made, he got, he got the money to do a couple uh, episodes of a punk rock TV series about four punk rock kids in the 90s who get together. They're all different kinds of punks, and they get together and they try to save their local um, all-ages punk rock club. And it takes place in the town of Mullet, California, that is somewhere down in Southern California, out in the middle of nowhere. And it takes it's it's just all hilarious, uh, and it's all jokes on the punk, uh, you know, taking the punk rock scene. And it, it was really cute, and it was super funny, and they did a couple episodes, and each episode would feature a different punk band, like No Effects, or Bouncing Souls, or Sick of It All, the Ataris, or the Vandals themselves. But uh, he was always wanted to bring it back and resurrect it. And so we were talking about doing a comic, Fear of a Punk Planet, and kind of taking it somewhere. So the first issue we did together, I did the artwork, he did the, the story, of course, was kind of a reboot of that pilot episode that he did so we could establish a series. And uh, we released it, uh, and the first pressing sold out right away. Uh, I was really happy with the result. People really got it. Uh, he really wanted it to be as cartoony as possible, as Archie Comics as possible, and really kind of silly. And uh, we had all these ideas for at least like enough to do a graphic novel, like at least a four-issue run. 
But then he immediately got hired to write for a Discovery Channel show. So he's been scripting and he's been busy, so our process slowed way down. <laughs> but, I mean, it was a chance for me to do a comic that I've always wanted to do, so it was really kind of fun. And because of our bands uh, and the band connection with the Vandals and Tsunami Bomb and our other projects, like, we had an ability to release this comic and sell it right out the right under the nose. Like, we didn't need to go through Diamond or get a comic publishing company to put it out. Like, we could put it out through the record label, Kung Fu Records, that he owns and that I'm on and he's on. And and we could find an audience from our music fans that would appreciate it. So it's funny because I, I kind of, again, I kind of just bypassed like what every other comic uh, creator is trying to get to, like the attention of a publishing company. I, I actually don't even partially need one because I play shows, I have concerts that I can sell at. And then, you know, you couple that with uh, conventions. Um, so it's like I have my own little outside distribution network that I've kind of built. And um, I don't know, it's, it's working out pretty well. So like I so then I wanted to continue it. And that's when I came up with a story of Come Find Me, which is a short story. I was I was going to do a longer series. But it was suggested to me that I kind of approach it kind of like a band does with an EP or a demo and do a mm -hmm. short zine, like 12-page zine, just to get people, get some people to understand what I'm doing and kind of get into a story that I'm trying to create. And plus, you know, help teach me how not to, how to do the comic correctly. And uh, so I put out that zine that came out in uh, June and... It's, I'm sold out of the first pressing. I'm really excited, and people seem to really enjoy it. And I'm working on a series called Green Teeth that picks up where Come Find Me kind of leaves off and, and tells another story. It actually happens 10 years before, but it happens in the same town. And I'm basing a number of uh, little kind of horror-themed stories about my hometown of Petaluma, California. So kind of Stephen Kingish in approach to uh, uh, geography. Yeah, I kind of look at it like I, I I'm a big Stephen King fan. I'm a big horror fan in general, and I really love uh, Lovecraft's work for for the same purpose of that they took a place and they take these stories where they take real elements and they mix them with fantasy elements, so they become very believable. So you almost feel like you could go out to Maine and find Derry. And, and find this town that it's all based off of. And same with Arkham and um, Providence and how Lovecraft approached that. So I wanted to kind of take that, and I, I I spent so much time. I always felt like Petaluma had a quality to it. It has a lot of folklore there. It's a very cool small town in Northern California. It's about an hour north of San Francisco. And it's uh, got a local club there called the Phoenix Theater, where that's why a bunch of us kind of started bands. There's a whole music scene there. And... It's just been really great. It was a really great place to grow up, though I didn't always feel that way at the time. But, like, I really appreciate the town for what it is. So I kind of wanted to make a uh, a series of stories that they'd be proud of. But when people read them and, and enjoyed the comic, they'd, they'd wonder how much of it is true and how much of it is not true. Because I'm mixing so many things in together. So far, the response to Come Find Me has exceeded my expectations. I'm really thrilled. So... So that's actually, you and I, when we met, I bought a copy of that from you. Both my wife and I have read it, and both of us at the end, we're like, hey, so what the fuck is the deal with so-and-so? Or You know, I don't want to break the story apart, <laughs> but we both, we both kind of got into it. So I, I liked it quite a bit. She liked it. 
quite a bit. So I think he did a bang up job on it. Thank you. I'm really glad everyone's enjoying it. I mean, it's it's definitely got a twist to it, and it's kind of got a bit of a of a, a haunting kind of dark twist. I tried to maximize since I, I was going to do a 12 page story. I tried to maximize what I could do in those 12 pages, and tell some. Well, and that's fun. that's. And I'm not to cut you off there, no, sorry about that. But uh, part of what I liked about it was that you put so much story into such a small space. Yeah, I really wanted to introduce people to what I want. I was hoping that people would walk away getting the feel that this is a bigger, uh, there's a bigger world here. And that, like, there's definitely something going, you know, like, that there's a lot more they wanted to see and there's a lot more going on. And, and like characters will return, and we'll see characters when I, as I continue through these series of stories, you're going to see characters that come back at different ages and at different times, and you'll see them in different ways, and kind of get a better understanding for them as you move along through it. And uh, because it, it inevitably, even though it's it's a horror, it's a series of horror stories, um, and it's it's a it's all, but it's all based around a small town, and I want people who read it. By the more they read, the more they have an understanding of this small town and these characters and this time period that happens, these years that go on, and how the folklore of the town, this place that strange things happen and and that things uh, are drawn in. Um, I really want that that feel to be there. So. You know, I'm I'm really excited that so far. It seems that people who read it get it, and the thing that I get most is people getting going like, you know, hey, I want a lot more than 12 pages. So, yeah. so I'm working on it, and uh, that's what that's what I'm focused on now is green sheets, which will be a lot more. That will be like all said and done, that'll be like a hundred and plus 120 page story. That's gonna be a lot more. Yeah. Now, do you think you'll release that in small pieces, or are you going to release that as one big book? I, I'm going to release it as small pieces. I'm going to release it as four issues, um, but I'm probably not going to put out the. F- I'm trying to get it all get it done, and get to a point where I'm working on the third issue by the time the first issue goes to print. You know, so okay. when people are holding it, by the time people are holding it, I want to be on my way through the third issue. Um, but you know, so that I can release them at least. I'm, I mean, I'm not Marvel or DC or Image or Dark Horse. Like, I, so I'm going to do my best to release it as regular as possible and not have people wait months and months. I want there to be a reasonable gap in time. But um, it'll be collected when it's all said and done. The series will be collected with "Come Find Me" into one big graphic novel. But um, and then we'll go from there. I mean, hopefully people will get it and really like it, but I do want to release it in smaller increments. And I'm hoping that I'll have that first issue out by the holidays, by Christmas. You know, so, oh, excellent. So that's what my, my goal is. But, you know, it's just me. It's, it's, it's just me. There's nobody else inking it or lettering it, like anything that, you know, I'm writing it and I'm doing every part of it, so it's it's very time consuming. That's one thing I think people don't realize with comics. It's like it if you do anything else in your life where you go to work or you have a job or you have anything else you do, it's like good, it's such a time consuming process to do comics. Right. Well, would you mind if we talk a little bit about how you how you actually physically do the comics? Yeah. No. Anything. Anything. anything yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to do that. Um, 
So I was looking at your Facebook page the other day, and it looks to me like you use, uh, well, it used to be called Manga Studio, but it's called Clip Studio now. Clip Studio Paint is like the digital version, though they still market the physical version as Manga Studio. But I think oh, okay. they were concerned. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. I think like maybe two companies merged somewhere, and two products got merged into the current product that it is. But um, I, I was working on paper I was working like anyone else on on paper and I really liked it but of course you know it gets hard I go through a lot of paper I go through a lot of sketchbooks and I you know what I mean it's like I I I have a limited amount of space in which to store everything so I started hearing about um through you know just reading some articles and podcasts very much like this one I started hearing about that a lot of artists were starting to use a digital program called Manga Studio, and uh, so I became interested. And as it happened, when when Joe and I started working on it, he had he had a, somebody had given him a copy of of it, like someone from the company perhaps or something. He got introduced in some sort of introductory pack like version, and uh, he gave it to me. He's like, I can't draw, so the, you know you're going to need this. Um, so. When I took it, I immediately got into it because, as I said, I'm a, I'm a graphic designer and I work with a lot of Adobe products, and like Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, just for my my job. And then uh, I really fell in love with this program because it's really an, illustri- an illustrator's program because it really just caters. It takes elements from Photoshop, Illustrator, and InDesign and kind of combines them in a way to allow you to both draw really well digitally and to um, be able to create a multi-page comic and uh, I've really gotten into it I really can't say enough great things about it Um, it's pointless to buy unless you have a Wacom pad or a a Wacom Syntac uh, Cintiq Cintiq is it called Cintiq? I'm probably saying it wrong but basically if you have some way to draw it doesn't have to be Wacom but if you have some way to draw on a pad or draw on a screen, you're going to need that. Uh, it's not going to work with just a mouse, but it's a great program. I don't, I mean, they're not paying me, I swear to God. Uh, I just really enjoy working with it because it saves me a lot of paper, saves me a lot of whiteout, um, and allows me not to have to store all these pages that I create. Um, so that's really nice. And it helps organize it. It allows me to work within a, in a, uh, story format. And one of the things like would come find me when I put it out, uh, for example, uh, the first pressing, uh, I had some really cool pros, professional artists and, and writers, like a couple of them came up to me at Stockton con. They're like, Hey, your comic is really good. And I was like, Oh, thank you. And it's like, who's putting this out? Like, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, me. And they said, yeah, the only thing that's messed up about it is your lettering. And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And they're like kind of going, you know, like giving me, asking me questions. And they recommended, uh, I, I look into how to letter properly. So I did. And because I did this in Manga Studio, Clip Studio Paint, I am literally able going through, I'm going through it right now, re-lettering it, re-spacing the line spacing, the line width, the size of the font, uh, and the, and changing the font to a more, uh, exclusive font so that future pressings will look I think much better and uh and it's allowing me to do that. If I had done it by paper this would be a much more difficult process oh, even for God, a television. 
you would have been scraping the letters off with a razor blade and everything. Yeah, it would have been a much bigger process, but because it's digital. And I mean, I know some people don't like working digital, and that is totally fine. I completely understand it. Uh, but uh, for my process and my situation, this has really made it far more possible for me to, to accomplish. Well, first thing I'd like to say, if you're if people are listening, and you're thinking about trying Clip Studio. I believe most Wacom tablets that you buy actually come with a uh, coupon for a download of it. It may be a stripped down version or something, but you can try it out that way. Yeah, they have very variety of versions. They're all worth trying, especially to get used to it. But like, yeah. it allow, you know, it, it's it's a, it allows you to control what you're doing as much or as little as you want. Likes, right. you know, so there's some cheats there that I, you know, I don't, I don't need or use, but there's also, uh, you know, ways to make your line, like help clean up your line. So it's not so wobbly. It's like, if you're not used to doing it and you're, you know, I mean, they try and help you and there's a lot of preset stuff that's put into it. Like, again, I don't mean to sound like I'm advertising this program, but, but for me and what I'm doing and in, in working digitally has really been the way to go. So Right. And to to the point of lettering, I actually interviewed a um, father and son team this weekend. It's uh, Andrea and uh, Roberto Molinari, who have a comic out. Oh, God, I'm going to get the name wrong now. It's The Shepherd, but it has a Greek name after it. But their whole thing was what they did was they came up with an idea for the book. They wrote the script. Then they hired a penciler, an inker, a letterer, on and on and on and on and on. Wow. Well, if you got the money... Well, that was that was just it. He goes over a six year period out of pocket. I spent about twenty grand to put this book together. Oh my god! <laughs> well, but you know, you know, now break it down though. Five years. How many months is that? How many days? You know, when you get down to the end of it, it's like a buck eighty a day. You know, but when you look at the whole number, it's like, oh my god! Right. But he said the thing that happened to them was they put it together, they sent it out. And Caliber Comics sent it back and said, hey, this looks great. The coloring's beautiful. The art's great. The story's good. The lettering, though, guys, the lettering kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. And they had to hire another letterer to go back and redo it. Oh, yeah. Now, as soon as they were done, Caliber Comics published it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. But it's that thing. Like, so A lot of us, especially me, because like, I'm not a design guy, lettering's just lettering to me, you know. Yeah, And for people that have a design background or for people who have an eye for it, lettering is very important. Oh, I've already gotten compliments from, like, I posted a picture of me changing and putting them side by side, and people were, like, so much better. And it wasn't so much, I I just, I didn't know the rules, (laughs) so I didn't know, uh, I didn't, I didn't really... You know, I mean, it wasn't intentional, but I, at the, I mean, I, I guess I just underestimated. I, I actually can say completely that I completely underestimated the, the its value, and it's necessary that I needed to research that and understand what I was doing. And I'm very, ha- I'm much happier with the second version. It's going to look really good. Um, I'm not unhappy with the first version. It's not embarrassing or anything. It's just, you know, it is what it is. But uh, I'm glad it's out again. You know, sometimes you got to let it go. But uh, this version, because I had an opportunity to do it, because the digital the program made it easy for me to do it, uh, I, I'm resetting the text before I send it off back to the printer. So I'm, I'm excited. Well, if 
outstanding. So you you kind of got into artwork because you were doing posters and album covers then. Huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've drawn since I was a little kid. I drew before I knew how to play music, but I got into doing it as a job uh, because of the band and because of the opportunities, like the band just needed stuff designed, you know, and... You know, at first I wasn't even doing, you know, I wasn't even doing the shirts um, or anything for any of the bands I was in. But then eventually it was like, well, why am I, you know, why is some so-and-so doing it when I, you know, I can damn well do it. So it's like I finally started doing it. And once then I just never looked back. I kept kept doing it. And it's, it's still, you know, I love playing music more than almost anything. But, like, I have to say there's something really just, like, uh... I don't know. I, I've always drawn, and it's always made me happy to do art, to draw. And uh, It kind of makes you wonder, like, when cavemen were first kind of getting their stuff together, do you think they banged rocks together rhythmically or painted on the wall first? Because they're both very primal things. Right. Uh, yeah, they need for music, and they need to express yourself. I, you know, that's an interesting, that, that is a fascinating question I've never even considered, but uh, I'd be hard-pressed to, to, to know. But I mean, I could I could see it kind of because different people have different. I mean, even though there's an overlap, like I do both, but and lots of people do uh, do more than one art. Um, I think that there's a certain thing to be said for the you know it's probably two different cavemen doing two different things because they were both bored and both like feeling like they needed to do something more. Um, yeah, and that they probably you know it's very chicken or the egg, but it probably developed all at the same time. That's what I think. Oh, That's probably. my bet. Which yeah. is caveman A going, you know, this is a cool sound, and caveman B going, hey, look, this charcoal makes a makes a makes a mark. Yeah. So this is why I don't smoke pot because that question popped in my head while I'm. <laughs> That's a legit question, man. Like I said, I'm 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 down I'm down for that question. That's good. That's that's some philosophizing there. Like, what came first? Oh yeah. So let me ask you, Dominic. What? Okay, so do you remember a comic book that especially grabbed you when you were younger that really made you go like, hey, comics are cool? Or was it something that happened later in life? I got into comics. Um, the first comics I got into was actually Marvel's G.I. Joe. And back in the 80s, they had a G.I. Joe series to go with the cartoon and the toys. That was, But at the same time, it was super independent. And I recently yes. reread those things. And they're, it's surprisingly deep. Like, they took it really seriously. <laughs> and I remember them being really good. And they really were. And it's funny to tell somebody, like, oh, yeah, G.I. Joe comics got me into comics. But, like, that's really what got me in first because I love G.I. Joe so much. Uh, and then some, my mom, like, bought me some G.I. Joe comics. And there was, like, a really compelling story going on about, like, their relationships, like, somebody's girlfriend was actually part of a family that was involved with Cobra, and it was crazy. They had an old whole town that they had built that was, like, secretly a Cobra town. It was just ridiculous. So, um, I really, I really enjoyed that series, and then from there, I, I ended up, like, I mean, of course, I loved Superman and Batman and everything in the theory, but I didn't read comics, like, their comics until after that. And then I just started collecting like a fiend and I fell in love with X-Men during Chris Claremont's run and all those heavy stories that were coming out uh, in the late 80s and uh, and then into the 90s. And I just felt, you know, I've always, I, I guess I'm one of those, I, I'm a rarity. I don't have a problem with DC or Marvel. I think they're both awesome. I think 
DC's superheroes are probably better. Marvel's stories traditionally were better. Uh, I think they're both kind of ridiculous right now, and if, uh, I'm not going to read something that's just going to get rebooted every year. So I've kind of long since faded out from superhero comics, but um, I, I'm that guy that gets frustrated. It's like, oh, again, rebirth, oh, whatever. I don't, I don't care. Just tell the story. But, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's how I kind of fell into those, those comics. I mean, I really, but right now I would say the ones I really cherish, I really love Scott Pilgrim series. I really love Bone by Jeff Smith. That's such a, that's outstanding. It's like, I, I, that's my go-to swear by, please, please, you know, you should read this. Xenozoic Tales from, uh, Mark Schultz is huge. I loved Madman from Mike Allered, The Goon is amazing from Eric Powell. I just can't believe how awesome it is. Um, you know, older stuff, I really love Charles Adams, uh, Adams Family Comics, even though there's not really a series. They're like one-offs. I love that. But I'm a big fan of Dan DiCarlo and his work, uh, both uh, his pinup work and then his Archie work, I thought was just really cool. So Yeah. Did you ever see where uh, Jeff Smith from Bone actually did a Captain Marvel or a Shazam comic? Uh, probably about ten years ago. No, but now that you said that, I'm going to have to find it because <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it it is amazing. Wow, that's rad. His art style went with that character so well that they should have just handed him the keys to that character at that point. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that he had ever done that. I mean, Bone is just so amazing. Uh, and I've read some of his other stuff, and it's all good. Like, nothing's bad. But, like, yeah, once you do something epic like Bone, which should be like a movie uh, or a car- or an animated movie, it's just it's just unbelievable. So it's like, yeah, he he kind of dropped the mic with that one, so it was pretty amazing. Yeah, no, that was outstanding. I haven't actually seen a Bone comic in probably 20 years now, but I was because of that series, and I had the first, I don't know, probably 30 issues, mm-hmm. and I was just such a big fan and supporter of his that I, I will never forget that he did that Captain Marvel comic. I think... Don't quote me. I think it was called Shazam and the Monster Society of Evil. Okay, that's also amazing. Like, it's long, but that's an amazing name. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, because um, it, it was just fantastic. His artwork was designed for that, because he made Mary Marvel a little girl again. Oh, and, right uh, it was just, Yeah, it was just astoundingly good. Um, cool. You know, I, I did a Captain Marvel episode recently where I had a guy from, from uh, Shazam cast mm-hmm. come on. And Ryan Wynn from Valiant Comics, who I'm, or uh, yeah, from Valiant Comics, who I'm kind of friendly with, listened to the episode, drew a uh, uh, Shazam piece, and it's up on my wall now. And I'm How cool! It. That's awesome. Yeah. Not the original, but he sent me the the media files to print one up, and I'm I'm pretty. That's sad. rad. Because it looks amazing. Um, so Dominic, is there anything out there that you that you learned? that you were surprised, either in music or comics, that you would care to share with people who are thinking about pursuing it as a career? I I know it's a big question. That is a big question. I would say, honestly, one of the things that I think people need to understand most um, is that now more than ever, you are more capable and empowered to make something of your own and get it to people. You have the same tools uh, that any that he, that anybody uses any band uh, any record label any I mean you can you can distribute digitally there's services that make everything easier 
Um, Comixology has a submit program that anybody can submit their comics and then be sold in, the, in, in their digital online store. You have uh, lots of different companies, TuneCore, CD Baby, who will pick your music and put it on throughout digitally so you can hear it on Spotify and Pandora and it's on iTunes. They can, you can do these things. You can make that happen. But, well, the down, the thing that people then, so, so you've gone out and you finished your project and you made your thing and you created it and it's yours. And whether it's not very good or it's absolutely fabulous, it doesn't matter. It exists. You did it. Okay. Now, who's going to buy it? And how do you get it out there? And one of the things that I think that people don't take into consideration, um, is, those those concepts. Not everyone's going to have uh, a comp like you, like the people you mentioned who spent all this money over time and made something really amazing looking. Not everyone's going to just outright pick it up and publish it for you. So you're going to have to do it yourself. So once you create your comic, once you create you know your your band, it's a little different for each. But it, the the general advice I'd say is you know, really pay attention and try and kind of conceptualize how are you going to move these things? So they're out there, but like, unless people stumble on it, you're going to have to generate traffic to these things. You're going to have to go to conventions. You're going to have to meet people. You're going to have to walk around and talk to them about your comic. And some of your friends who are going to be the ones that want it for free, you're going to have to really try and count on it, try and encourage to buy it from you and, and help you recoup your money so you can keep going. Those kind of things like I got to, things that people forget the most it's the same thing as like some people would start kickstarter projects at first and they'd set up all these tiered projects and they'd promise make all these promises and not count shipping into their you know like that was a big problem for a while they they stopped real nobody thought about like how much the shipping was going to cost like those are the things that you need to consider when you do anything is how will you distribute it once you have it and make a plan for that and think about it. I mean, are you prepared to sit at that table and talk people up? And by the way, because your comic and, the, and since we're talking about comics, since your comic is mm -hmm. not Batman, <laughs> and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not Wolverine and it's, it's, it's not invincible or the walking dead. Nobody's going to really care. <laughs> like, so you're going to have to really figure out how to sell it. And, um, some people, you know, that it can be a little discouraging because you'll see somebody next to you, especially in, in convention land, the way the conventions work, you'll see somebody next to you who is just drawing pictures of uh, their own pictures of Batman and Superman, even though they don't work on the comic and they'll be selling stuff out like crazy or they'll, they'll have something of the regular, you know, different, you know, adventure time or, or anime, you know, different animes that like, and they'll be going, you know, doing fan art, which is fine. And they'll be selling like crazy. And you'll have this original piece and, and people will just walk right by it. So you have to be prepared for that and still be able to, like, engage people in a way to help get it out there, both in person and think about how you would market it digitally. And it's tricky. And that would be almost a whole show that we could dedicate to ways that you can you know, come up with doing that. Here's the thing. So as you were saying all that, um, I recently had uh, Sean, Sean Miller on, and he's a Stockton area artist. Mm -hmm. And he and I were talking, and he was telling me that with his independently published book, he goes and does, like, craft fairs. And he goes, I sell more to, at these, like, street fairs than I do at a comic convention. Yeah, see, that's fascinating. 
Yeah, you know what I, you know what I should maybe do, Dominic, is maybe I'll get a hold of you and him, and maybe we'll do a whole like guerrilla marketing, alternate ways to get your comic into people's hands episode. I think that would be interesting. I mean, I think you could get a couple different. You know, I bet there's a couple different people who could weigh in on that uh, yeah. because. I mean, you know, my my job for years, I, I've worked with a number of record labels um, as their marketing director, and I, you know, and then I've had my own band. So, like, I've long since had to deal with, like, how do I sell, quote unquote, sell something? How do I present something to people that they don't really care? <laughs> They're not mm-hmm. really interested, but how do I get them engaged and interested? How do I build up something? And I think that's something that's under-discussed. Because, I mean, you know, actually starting a comic or figuring out how to draw and how to draw well and how to tell stories sequentially, all these things are important and a lot of focus is done to them. But I, I don't see a lot of, like, you know, beyond some people saying, well, get your thing on Comixology is submit and get yourself a table at a convention and sell comics. But it's like, uh, there's more to it than that, but that that's yeah. a perfect place to start. Well, you know what? I think also... Um there's a market for a book that tells you how to draw a comic book or write a comic book or ink a comic book, right? right? But those books are usually published by Marvel and DC or written by people that work for Marvel and DC. There's really no... They have nothing to gain by telling you how to take your book to market yourself. No, no, they really don't. <laughs> I mean, it's and it's not even messed up to point that out. It's just, it's just kind no. of the reality. It's like, well, you know looking to teach yeah. you how to create your own comic company. This is only, you know, we're, we're struggling enough as it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know what? Thank God comics are selling better this year than they have since 1997. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I'm glad to see that all these little conventions are coming up. Dominic, I know you got to practice tonight, <laughs> so I'm going to wrap this up. Yeah. Because I got a feeling we could do this for two and a half hours if nobody put the brakes <laughs> on us. Well, it's really fun to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, Oh, absolutely. Well, also, your your book, Come Find Me, is now on Comixology. It's on Comixology. Uh, you can find it by either searching me, Dominic Davi, or just straight up entering Come Find Me. And then um, it's only 99 cents. So is And Fear of a Punk Planet is also up there, also for 99 cents. That's a little longer. Uh, Green Teeth I'm hoping to come out with by the end of the year. And um, you can... My band, Tsunami Bomb, is active. we got a couple more shows in October, and then we're kind of wrapping up for the year while we decide what we're going to do next, and we're writing new songs and figure out what we're going to do with all that. Um, but uh, you can find Tsunami Bomb at TsunamiBombLives.com or Tsunami Bomb Official on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me at DominicDavi.com uh, or The Dinosaur Factory, which is what I kind of work under. DinosaurFactory.com. You can look up Dominic Davi and the Dinosaur Factory on Facebook. And Dominic Davi and the Dinosaur Factory both have their own Instagram handles. Excellent. Any other links or anything you want to give out? Um, yeah, just basically, you know, I think I gave them all out. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I, I just I just like to ask, because I know a lot of times when you're trying to get them out, you're also like, you get done, and then like an hour later, you're like, oh, shit, I forgot about blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm pretty easy yeah. to find at this point. Like, you search the band, you search for me, uh, you're going to find it. And uh, I really would love to – I hope people check out Come Find Me. I'd really love to hear what people think of it. And I know it's it's just a short little stinger, but yeah. – Yeah, but you pack a lot into that 12 pages, which is hard to do for a lot of people. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited to – 
I'm really excited about the next story, and I'm almost done with the writing part of it, and I'm already laying out the first book and getting ready to get it done. So, Excellent. Well, I can't wait to see it. All right, Dominic, thank you for coming on. Uh, everybody, you can find his comic book right now. Come find me. You can find it on Comixology and other websites. Uh, I will put links on uh, geekishcast.com for you to find his work. Um, in the meantime, everybody can catch us again at geekishcast.com and on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast. I am on Instagram, but I don't remember the uh, address. And uh, so everybody take a listen to our new theme music as we clone out, uh, courtesy of Reign of Zaius. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Thank Dominic. you. Geekishcast theme music is taken from Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zaius. Check them out at reignofzaius.net. website at geekishcast.com. Geekishcast is a B as a Ficker production, and all original content is copyright 2016. If you got a thought or a comment or think you or somebody you know would be a good guest for Geekishcast, please feel free to reach out and contact me. You can email me, thegeekishcast at gmail.com, or jeremy at thegeekishcast, or you can even phone me at 209-232-6001. 